Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai. And you're listening to Quiet, Please. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hiya, boys. Nice day for golf, eh? Quiet, please. Oh, you got secrets, eh? Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the... Hey, you guys. Hey, we're trying to have a podcast over here. (laughs) Welcome once again to Quiet, Please, the golf podcast. I am Alan DePew. I am your host for the next 45 to 50 minutes. I am joined by, as always, by our panel to my left, known as Boston Bob. We've transferred him into Kentucky, so he's Bourbon Bob forever. Bob Baldessari, welcome, my friend. Always Boston, though. Always, always. Boston. We're all Boston guys, actually, tonight on the panel. Uh, filled in for me last week and did a stellar job, Mr. Andy Hydorn. Thank God. Boston Andy Hydorn. Boston Andy. Thank God you're back, Alan. I, I would not like to do that ever again. <laughs> and we've had him on before. Noted golf columnist, uh, Jeff Babno, also a Boston guy, right? From the country, huh? way out in Cape Cod, you know. All right. Well, hey, it counts. It's close enough. Interlands, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting, though, that Jeff went to college in, in Florida, started his career at the Orlando Sentinel, when a certain Eldrick Woods came on the scene. So uh, Jeff has had a front row seat to these things. Editor, former editor of Golf Week, um, 90 majors he has covered. Let that sink in a second. 90 majors. The guy's an expert. He's, he's catching up to Tiger. Eldrick, Tiger, who's that guy? Um, whatever happened to Eldrick? I just want I want to turn a dial back for just one second. Andy, I thought you did a stellar job. Listen to the show. If anyone did not catch the show last week, Scott Fawcett of Decade Golf, Mr. Andy Hydorn at the calm. He was uh, pulling all the the uh, plugs and buttons and pushing all the tech and he was the man. Well, S- Scott was a he was a fascinating guest. Um lots of really cool stories and and coming to the plate with a lot of information. So it was it was good to have him on. It was it was a great listen. And again, yeah. if, you, if you haven't if you haven't listened to it, folks, give it a listen. Um we've got a number of great topics. Uh we're talking Phil, we're talking playoffs. Uh as to why I was not there, let me just jump in with that. I'm gonna give you a golf golf travel is back, guys. I don't know if I mean Andy last year you were over in the over took a trip overseas. I was down in the Outer Banks for a family thing, but even those courses down, they're packed. I was down in uh, Nags Head, uh, Curatech Club. Uh, I mean, Jeff, you travel all the time. for so, so you, so you, so you're like, yeah, okay, no, no doubt. But um, Bobby, I mean, are you seeing golf travel? It's just booming right now. Oh, yeah, it's definitely on the uptick. Everything I've read was... You know, the, the golf travel thing's back. Golf buddy trips are back. Um, and we entertain the club I have. There's a golf trip going to Bandit Dunes. And they're mobilizing and doing practice rounds here to figure out the 
who's going to play with who, who's sleeping with who, uh, where are they going to do everything? So it's the pre stuff that's a lot of fun too when you go on these trips. Jeff, do you do you? I mean, obviously, when you're on the road, do you bring the sticks along with you each time and every time? Or yeah. you know, I've been I've been to media days. I was down at Sea View down more recently, and uh, we were just talking before we hit record uh, the Magnet, which is a new event here in uh, New Jersey this week for the Corn Ferry Tour. But when you're on the road, do you bring bring the clubs? I usually do. I, I haven't played much this year, but um, yeah, I usually have the clubs in tow. Uh, you know, for a lot of years, we'd get to play the major venues on the Monday after. Mm -hmm. uh, I did this that this year at the PGA at Oak Hill. It was the hardest golf course I've ever played in my life. Uh, really? It was, it was, I mean, it was just to imagine what guys were shooting out there and what Kepka shot to win. And um, it was just amazing because it was brutal. I mean, you know, pins were barely on the, they didn't even look like they were on the greens at some places. And, uh, it gives you a whole new respect for what those guys do, what they shoot. And you know, we were saying, I mean, it's fire, it's green light everywhere, fire away. And it's, it's hard to play defense on those guys. One, one of the years when I was with Callaway, we, uh, we were hosted down at the TPC. And if you've ever done the Monday after the TPC, Jeff, mm, um, yeah. like we, we did that. <laughs> That golf course, that particular year was really firm and hard and kind of baked out. It was impossible. And they yeah. they kept all the Sunday pins in the same spots. And if if it, it brings out a bigger point, right? A lot of people love to consider themselves golfers at a particular level. And it's easy to compare to what PJ Tour players do. They have no idea the difference in the challenge of just the conditions of the golf course and the golf courses themselves. It's just so different. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget one story playing uh, Medina the day after Tiger beat Sergio in 99. And if you remember, Tiger made this great 10-footer on the 17th hole. And he didn't think much of it. We're there, we're there 24 hours later. There was not a speck of grass on that green. Mm -hmm. And it was dirt and it was spray painted green. And he made a 10 footer. I, I always think it's the greatest putt. I, that and the one at Torrey Pines to get in the yeah. playoff. Yeah. You know, it was up in the air and spinning. Uh, but he made it on dirt. And it was just an amazing thing to see a, a day later. You're like, wow, that that is an amazing feat what he pulled mm -hmm. off here. <laughs> where, Jeff, where would be the, is that the toughest one? If you had to think back to in your 90 plus uh, majors that you've had the opportunity to tee it up afterwards, was that the toughest setup to yourself or was it was it this year up in Rochester? Oh, the toughest test for the pros? Yeah. I, I probably would go back to like a, a wing foot or something. Uh, one of those years where or Beth Page where you had pros in the field not able to reach the 10th fairway, you know, aiming at the crosswalk. Great, uh, David. Just impossible tests, right? I mean, um, yeah, there are some hard ones out there, but you it's just really hard to challenge these guys. You need some wind. You need a little help. Um, you need the elements to kind of give them the full test. I, I remember Shinnecock one year was they went they went a little bit overboard with trying to test them. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it was the year when Zach won. I think it was Zach or Trevor Immelman, those two years at Augusta, where it felt like a U.S. Open and the whole board was green over par numbers. It just yeah. was out of character for, yeah. for the Masters. And, you know, we already have a U.S. Open, and uh, they tried it for a little bit, but they, they realized it just wasn't the magic potion of the Masters, right? That's a great yeah, point. Yeah, Babs, uh, it's it's sort of esteemed in the, that echelon of majors, but the Ryder Cup is on the horizon now. And so um, you've covered 11 Ryder Cups. You're like a, our insider. And so you got the six six names that are going to be on the team. Yeah. It's a fascinating look this year. Who do you go with? And it's and I, I finally saw somebody dive into it. I can't remember who it was in an article that talked about, do you take the hot hand? Do you take the person that helps chemistry, um, or the chemistry, you know, the culture of the, the teams? Uh, it's really fascinating how you put the team together. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take a, a step back and a, a bigger look at it. Is think of where we were when we left Whistling Straits two years ago. And everyone's talking about this is a U.S. team that's going to win the next five Ryder Cups. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Zach Johnson as a team. There's no way he could have expected his team to start the year. He's got Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon, probably Lucas Glover. I'm, I'm taking Lucas Glover, right? He's a hot hand. Absolutely. He's not probably not going to have Dustin Johnson, who was 5-0 and the last time around, or Bryson, or I'm, I'm not taking JT if I'm on that team. As good as he is and as tough a competitor, he just hasn't had the form. So – you, you go in two years and what a, what an unbelievable competition it is to think where we were and it seems so one-sided. And I got to think now going overseas again where the U.S. hasn't won in 30 years, Europe's a favorite in my mind. I mean, just the way you start with Rahm and McElroy and go down the line there and the team that the U.S. has taken over, I, I think it's an amazing flip. Yeah, I think that's the cool thing about the Ryder Cup is that Two years is an eternity, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and we've talked about this a lot, you know, especially when the, the live players start to defect. And, you know, players like Scotty Scheffler, a year before the live thing happened, Scotty Scheffler hadn't won a tournament. Will right. Zalatoris was nobody. Cam Young was nobody. And all of a sudden, one year later, those guys are battling out for every major. So, the guard, the guard changes pretty readily these days. Yeah. Andy, I mean, do, you want, do, you want, do you want to go on record and, and, and make your predictions on who uh, Zach goes with then? You know, I, I'm i torn on the Justin Thomas thing and the Lucas Glover thing, right? Um, only because, you know, the, the Lucas Glover thing, he's, he's obviously – the hottest golfer on the planet right now. But, you know, who knows that the Ryder Cup's still not next week, right? So there's some time. Um, and for the same reason, it's hard to count out Justin Thomas because there is some time and he has shown that he's turned the corner a little bit. Um, so I, I think it's tough. And I think I think some of the guys that, are in that group of of secured spots, you know, if I had my choice, I'd think hard about whether I wanted them on the team. 
Hey, Babs, do you think, you know, years ago, I remember that it would be a beginning of a two-year period. Some guy get hot in the West Coast swing or early in the first year and then sort of coast. You, you wouldn't hear from him for a year and a half. All of a sudden, he shows up the Ryder Cup. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's still on the tour. Um, so, I mean, they've made a lot of changes, made it relevant, made, you know, skewered some of the points more to the recent, you know, somebody's playing hot. Uh, but still, I mean, top six, like, you know, you finish seventh in the points and you don't make it, you got to be kind of miffed. I mean, there's yeah. got to be, it just seems it's a little, it's gone a little bit the other way. Um, maybe eight, nine, I mean, we're splitting hairs, but um, I don't know. What do you think about the new changes there? And the whole, I think the whole idea of all the picks was to get the hot guys. And and I think the, as you look right now, the three guys on the outside, I think Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, and even Cameron Young, I think they're they're pretty safe to be on that team. And then you have a bunch of guys and you you got three spots to fill. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Lucas Glover's the flavor of the month, right? He's a red hot guy. You want to have some guy in for him. He could be out of gas by the time you go to Italy. But but I love the fact that he really wants to be there. You know, he, he really does. I think he'd be, you know, you talked about the different elements, Alan. Uh, you Do you want the, uh, or, or Bob was, I guess, the, do you want the chemistry? Do you want the hot guy? You want hot putters? They don't have a the greatest putting team in the history of golf. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and Lucas checks off a lot of the boxes of being a good teammate, being a guy, great ball striker. People would love to play with him in a, a foursomes type thing. And his putter has been pretty, pretty good of late. You know, his, his year long rank isn't very good, but I think he's gained strokes in four or five, six of his last starts with the putter. So I think it's a, t it's a disservice to take a hot guy like that and not put him on when you're kind of rolling the dice. It could be a great confidence boost for JT. He might go over there and go four or five and oh, but uh, it's a question of, you know, does he really deserve the spot? Sort of like in baseball, do you put in the savvy veteran starter? <laughs> or, right. You know, like, is he going to have his stuff? Uh, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, Jeff, I think, I, I think, think I've got the standings up here in front. I mean, for, first of all, Cantley jumped up, obviously, this past weekend, yeah. three spots. But I, I agree with you. Once you get past uh, Cameron Young, who went down a spot to get to nine, then you got Morikawa, Keegan. Sam Burns, Ricky, JT, McCarthy, and Glover sitting at 16. Right. I I mean, the, yeah, only, one of, the, only, one, the only one there is McCarthy. Is Maybe he's the only one I say is probably out. The other ones, yeah, they're all in the mix. Right. And you could probably throw Tony Finau in there and maybe Bryson as at least being in the conversation. I don't see him taking Bryson. I don't think the chemistry – box gets clicked there. I, I don't think um, these players would have trouble with Brooks on the team or Dustin Johnson on the team, but I think some other live guys, there's a, there's a chemistry issue for sure. So yeah, uh, question. Yeah, yeah. Brooks might be, or I think Brooks would probably be the only live guy on that team. So it's, <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think it's what Zach Johnson thought he would have in his pocket heading over to Italy. Great. Bobby, yeah. Bobby, who, do you, who do you fill out the the roster with? I, I mean, I'm th I'll I'll even throw out Sam Burns and say, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, even 
not it didn't seem too long ago. Keegan Bradley was hot. He was psyched. He was talking about it. Like, I mean, him and Justin. They, I remember uh, something about JT said if he could do what was the wording of like if he could make the Ryder Cup. That's like all he wants to do. Like it's that big a deal to those guys. So um, it's going to be crushing if you don't make the team. That's going to be a tough phone call. Well, and then, and then they, whether you want to say it was intentionally or unintentionally, there's been overtures made about, oh, yeah, JT will be on that roster. Um, I think that was Freddie. That Freddie, made, yeah, Freddie said that, yeah. Freddie made that comment. I mean, I'd take – I'd probably go – I personally, I'd go Glover, Fowler, and then I'd flip a coin on Keegan and Morikawa. Yeah, Morikawa is tough because of his putter, right? He struggles. Right. He struggles with the putter, but he hits it great. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's well, tough. And the the two I named both can roll the rock. Yep, I, I think are rolling the rock this year. I think Sam Burns is probably for me on the outside looking in because he's not playing great right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Sam Burns is Lucas Glover. And Lucas Glover, or you know what I mean? Like there are times where Sam Burns is every bit as hot as Lucas is right now. It it just can shift. Anyone to win a match point. Yeah. So that's a good one to win if you're going to win one event this year on a Ryder yeah. Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Great photo. So, so speaking of Ryder Cups and uh, deciding who's going to go and if we were betting guys. <clears throat> Bobby. Little segue hey, there. You, you, you been jumping on both segues tonight. I had one loaded <laughs> and ready to go. I, I was going to say something like, "I know what I'd put money on." <laughs> That's even better. Yeah, there got I mean, that was a bit of a. You know, I, I think the the feeling was, yeah, Phil likes to bet. He's known for that. But if what we see in that Billy Walters book is true that's pretty astounding if he's with one b for billion i mean i don't know you, you hear certain things i've been on and off there Babs, you've been out on tour i mean that's that's stunning i mean yeah daily-esque yeah it is daily-esque but it's like to me it's all relative too right like you take a guy like phil or daily they have a gambling problem, and, and yeah. to Phil's credit, he's he's talking openly about the fact that he's met his demons and he's worked on them and whatever. Good for him, but it's all relative. Like when you start giving these guys multi millions of dollars, the guys who are gamblers are going to just gamble with more money, and. Over that time period, the the statistics that came out in the book, and and I don't know about you guys, but I've I've been hearing rumblings about this Billy Walters book for a while and reading things and knowing full well it was going to be pretty much of a of a just a crazy you know set of circumstances. But you know, again, it's just it's those statistics are astounding. A lot of money. It's a lot of. Uh, it, it is interesting, you know. You like you say, you knew it was coming, but to see it in print, and see that number uh, from a, an inside guy who was pretty tight with Phil, 
Um, it's pretty interesting. And yeah, and as you say, it, it is an issue and it's a, a problem. And I mean, I was there at Oakland Hills in what, 04, when Phil showed up with a brand new set of clubs at the Ryder Cup. Mm -hmm. brand it wasn't like he changing clubs inside his brain it's a whole different brand he became a Callaway guy and you know that that was certainly odd timing and uh didn't help him going oh and four I think that year um so it did you know it would bleed on to what was going on in the course at some points and um yeah Phil Phil's left with that mess to kind of deal with these days yeah for sure <laughs> I think I think we can all kind of agree that Phil is one of the oddest personalities to grace our presence <laughs> in a long time. I mean, he's just he's just like he's a little bit nuts. I mean, Jeff, I'm I'm just literally sitting here at a loss for words. When when you when yeah. when you start tossing around a billion dollars in gambling. I mean, that's not just demon. That's just <laughs> Dante's Inferno entirely. Yeah. I mean, that's well, just. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, God bless to have, I guess, that much money or access to that much money to be involved in it. But I mean, is that the scuttlebutt? I mean, how how much is he playing for in a weekly game? Well, he likes the action, obviously. I guess, right? Um... Which, you know, these guys are, they're always hair on fire out there playing anyway. I mean, it's a different world, the money they make, the, what they have access to. He's obviously has somewhere along the line, he came up with a billion dollars of disposable income. Um, I was there when John Daly told us in an honest sit around that he had made, I think I, the numbers might not be exact, but he had made something like $53 million gambling. And we're all like, oh, that's pretty impressive. And he goes, yeah. I, I lost about 63, you know, so, uh, it didn't add up great for John and, and he battled that for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of Phil's legend, right? I mean, Phil is, he had this amazing legacy in the game, right? As always, you're a Phil guy or a Tiger guy. It was those two at the top and Phil, the whole nine yards going, you know, the, submarine he kind of did in 14 at the Ryder Cup with Tom Watson that might have led to better change but a lot of people shouldn't have been thought it shouldn't have been so public um to becoming a leader getting these guys go to the live I mean it's it's, it's certainly an interesting career he's built around the game I tell you that I I think both you and Andy both said he's what a personality really yeah. if you follow his career back from the the amateur where he's waving and smiling everybody as a, a, a Tucson as a kid all the way to being down and then back up again. And as a, at the yeah. pinnacle at Kiowa to being gone basically in less than, you know, 11 months after that, because everything unfolds with live. It's, it's been a wild ride for Phil. And Kiowa is your golden ticket, right? When you win, when a major yeah. About almost fifty-one, I guess. Uh, that's your golden ticket. I mean, you're a hero. America loves every bit of you, and uh, yeah, it seems like he do, doing the actions he's done and where he's ended up playing is certainly certainly affected and hurt his legacy. Brings to mind that line that Lee Trevino had said one time about betting on the course and stress and 
pressure, something effective betting for 50 bucks with five bucks in your pocket. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's all relative, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember, and I'm sure you guys all remember this too. The first inkling I ever had of Phil being a gambler was all the publicity that came out when he won that bet on the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. The Trent Dilfer Super Bowl, right? And uh, he he won, you know, a good chunk of money on that. And we're all sitting here thinking, wow, that's pretty awesome that Phil had the, you know, the insight to, to bet on the Ravens. Well, he probably bet like 40 other bets too. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, uh, but but that's the first the first memory I have of oh Phil's Phil's into gambling a little bit. No, I mean I actually Bobby I haven't I haven't read the book I haven't seen as much of the excerpts from it but he denied anything with with golf right I mean that mm -hmm. isn't that the big and who, well, who was who who was the comment that made well Phil be able to bet on the Ryder Cup who said that on social yeah, Rory Rory that's it yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he was responding like, to something, something else, because somebody was asking about the Ryder Cup. I think. Yeah, I mean that's the equivalent of like Pete Rose betting on baseball type of thing. Right. I suppose I don't know if that's the best analogy, but um, I know we were talking earlier. Here I go again, Alan. <laughs> um, that on the LPGA, you or Andy was making the comment. The LPGA. Hey, you hey just before you move on, Alan. <laughs> You go away another week, you're gonna lose your segue. Game yeah, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you right now, Brendan, Brendan's working the tech last week. You're quarterback in the show, and 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 Bobby's doing the segues. I'm going back on vacation, boys. Well, the, the reason, back the up reason. here to Jersey, we'll go over to the Magnet and play a little golf at my place. Yeah, <laughs> the reason Andy did so well, he kept his head down, his left arm straight. Piece of cake. <laughs> I'll pro that's probably a reference to my uh, my avatar he took of me also right <laughs> you're 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 loved beyond loved and we need you so i'm yeah. just you know i made a couple birdies i'm on a roll of fire yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna hey i'm just in the cart buddy keep driving <laughs> yeah and i forget what i was gonna say i was well i thought we should applaud uh, a couple of ladies that uh, won championships this week and because quiet please, we do we do afford lots of time. We um, have great esteem for the women's game, LPGA, and uh, Lilia Vu wins the women's open at Walton Heath. Amazing show there. Um, and then, the, well, let's talk about that first. I mean, Babs, you've been over uh, to cover the the men's open. Have you ever covered one of the women's open? I have not. I don't think I've covered a women's. Um, I've gone to a lot of U.S. opens. A lot of women's amateurs, but not the, um, not the, not the one across the pond. No. Uh, yeah, she was impressive, and I think like she fills a or fits right in with the theme of this year, which is a lot of redemption, right? I mean, watching Keegan win again, watch this run by Lucas Glover, Lilia Lilia View. Her first go around on the LPGA was a bit of a disaster. You know, she had a great college resume. And went out there and just missed a ton of cuts and had no confidence and just had to go back. She went out to the what's now the Epson Tour, got her card back, and it's been a huge success. I mean, two majors this year. It's obviously like we we're watching all these golfers kind of reinvent themselves and you know um, 
It's kind of good to know. I mean, I'm I'm 60. I'd love to reinvent myself as a golfer out there and get it good. Uh, but I think that's kind of the beauty of golf, isn't it? I mean, we get all these storylines that you never really expected to see. Yeah, I think, you know, sitting there prior to the beginning of the of the final round, everyone's thinking this is Charlie Hall's tournament. I yeah. mean, she's the hometown yeah. girl. She had a great U.S. Open she's going to do this. It just makes all the sense in the world why she would. And the second hole at the golf, what's, where'd they play? Uh, Walton Heath. Oh, Walton Heath. Heath. Yeah. The second hole, Walton Heath was tough. It was playing into the wind. They were all making bogeys and Lily Vu drills a shot in there to like 12 feet and makes birdie when everyone else is making bogey. And that was kind of the end of it. I mean, she played great all the way through, but yeah. Charlie never really threatened. Nobody threatened after the second hole. You know, you guys are the swing experts. I watched Charlie Hall a lot at the women's uh, U.S. Open this year at Pebble. She has a violent swing. Yeah. The speed of that swing is unbelievable. It takes you back because it just looks almost out of control. Like she's trying to, you know, do a Bryson from the back of the tee and see if she can swing it that fast you know it's amazing and he calls that, that like abbreviated follow-through yeah yeah that's, going that's, on. Part, that's the part that amazes me yeah. it's like keep the feet on the ground yeah 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 andy calls that swing with intent yeah right Paul. right yeah you, you listened was, last week i was listening yeah I was, <laughs> yeah no it was uh yeah it was impressive and then Megan Schofield, um, yeah. if I pronounced that correctly, wins the uh, U.S. Women's Amateur at a pretty uh, Tony club. Is that what that – Babs, you're the word guy. Like, how would you describe that? Uh, I like that, color? Tony. I like it. <laughs> it, it look, Bel Air looked awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's – you know, it's I'd probably one of those, you know, the tweezers on every, you know, clippings, and I think they're going to go over the top on conditioning, but – that, I mean, that people forget, I think they kind of tune in sometimes, even for the men's and see the Sunday. I go, oh, geez, you know, 36 souls, but they're young. They forget it's like, what, nine or 10 rounds that week? It's a grind. Yeah, it's a grind. Really cool golf course, though. Mm -hmm. I'm done. I was just going to say, I'm just, I'm sitting, I told you, I'm in the cart. I got a transfusion in my hands. You, you keep rolling. <laughs> Time to get back on the horse, Alan. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, in, in Alan's neck of the woods this week, the golf course will be the star, right? The Corn Ferries out of Matita Conk. And Corn Ferries up at Matita Conk. First yeah. time back in New Jersey. A lot of lot of local um local flair uh this year. There are like for this. Um I actually had uh a a corn ferry slash former PGA tour player. Um, trying to work his way back there. Will McGurk came to my place today, batting it around a little bit with his son, which was great. Just chatting about the golf course. And uh, but I want to just I I want to bounce back to something because I saw somewhere on social, maybe you guys have, with more knowledge of the swing can that the like one of the top players on the PGA tour in terms of accuracy, where they would rank off the tee in accuracy on the LPGA tour. 
I, I right. don't think they cracked like the top hundred or something, isn't it? Is some crazy there's some crazy statistic? Okay. Yeah, it was so, fun. Did you see that, Andy? Yes. And there was a lot of back and forth on social about that. And yeah. You saw the same stuff I saw, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. It, you talking like a fairway percentage? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those, those LPGA players, you don't blink if they're 77% fairways hit. It's kind of amazing. Right. Andy, you, exactly. want to, you want to chime in? Well, they, they people who are much smarter than I were talking about this rule of triangulation or whatever, but it, it just had to do with the more speed you're swinging with, you know, if you're off by a certain percentage, you know, the the further the ball goes, exponentially your ball goes further offline. And and uh, if if we all sit back and think of it, and again, all due respect to the ladies' game, but if we sit back and think about it, Calvin Pete was the most accurate driver in the history of the men's game. Well, he didn't hit it anywhere, right? So he just kind of buttoned it down the middle, and and uh, you know, I think there was a crazy stat that in his whole career he only hit it out of bounds one time or something like that, but. But it's just easier to keep the ball in the fairway and in relatively close to the center line, the slower that the speed is. And and Andy, here's the whole reason I went down that rabbit hole is because I want to bring it back about me. And that's why I'm now hitting more fairways off the tee because I don't generate as much club head speed. Because you have that 42-degree shoulder turn. <laughs> 69 degrees. Sorry, 69 degrees. <laughs> Sports box verified. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sports Box, for ruining my confidence. Yeah. All right, so back to Matita Conk. Uh, Jeff, uh, you should have come up. Great golf yeah. course. Great yeah. golf course, 27 hole or the Magnet uh, Corn Ferry event. I think they're going to light it up this week. Um, I think they're going to go 15 to 20 under there, mm -hmm. even though it's a t solid test of golf. The defense is the undulation on this, the greens of this place is insane. Um, if they got those, and they usually do have the green stimping uh, fast, we'll just say fast. And uh, the undulation is going to make it extremely challenging. Uh, maybe the best practice facility I've ever seen in my entire life. But it's going to be interesting to see how those guys. Uh, there, there's a golf course, and that's where I why I thought of it. There's a golf course that's absolutely made for the ladies, in my opinion. I think for years, didn't Val Skinner did a big uh, cancer outing there? It was always at Matitacon. I believe so. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I believe so. A lot of the LPGA players know. You guys had a lot of events in Jersey this year. It was the the state to be to watch a little golf. Especially if uh, in the women's game. Uh, yeah. Samantha Wagner, friend of the show, was definitely up here quite a bit. Um, yeah. Down at Seaview, at the KPMG, uh yep 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 but uh yeah so but uh matita conk uh laid off the uh the lpga thing with val a number of years ago they now got the corn ferry and uh some other people are doing some layoffs according to bob see yeah, what i did there that. andy see what i did there Boom, boom, boom. At the rock again. He, he, wa the he wants his job back. 
He's a master. He's All so right, smart. Bobby, the stage is yours because I'm telling you, right, our text exchange this week, Bob Baldessari, PGA life member, mind blown, not a happy camper. Are you listening down in Frisco? Yeah, not a happy camper at all. Second generation PGA member. I was going to end the show with this, but you teed it up for me now. But no, very, very sad. Very sad. Really disgusted um, with what happened. There's, you know, a lot of these, they're friends of mine. So I know I, the emotions are there for me as a, as a friend. The PGA pro in me is saying, like, what the hell's going on? Um, there was a budget deficit. So you got to lay off people that less than a year ago moved there. To Frisco, some of them have been with the PGA as much as 31 years. Uh, they were experts, experts in their field. It's just really, really sad. I mean, um, the the Sethwa memo that went out to the USGA about the um, model local rule. I didn't see any of it. PGA pros didn't see any of it. You know that 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 made me mad. It's just some things that don't sit well with me as a PGA member. By the way, I was a national chair of the PR committee. I was a section officer. It's not like I sit on the sidelines. Uh, when I was young, I didn't like some things in the New England PGA. My dad, PGA member at the time said, well, if you don't like them, then get involved. Don't bitch and complain. So I got involved. I do get involved. I've been vocal at meetings. Uh, you can go back and watch annual meeting tapes. I mean, I I will say my piece and, and I don't like what I see happening with the PGA America on a, a bunch of different fronts right now and the move to Frisco and everything that transpired. It just really, it makes me very sad. It makes me very mad. And ultimately it's extremely disappointing um, to see the things my dad did, the generations before us and the state of it now with, you know, I know a lot. I know too much. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get ostracized. I don't want to get blackballed, but, I just know a whole lot what goes on in that building. I worked in there for 12 years, and it's just, it's not right. Bob, explain for our listeners a little bit about what's going on and, and why they just laid off a bunch of people and their overall financial cash situation. It's, it just explain to everybody like what the details are. The, the cash situation is off the charts, enviable. It's off the charts, solid. Um, you could move some monies over. And I'm not, you know, a few million dollars in the hole in the deficit is real money, but it's not as if there isn't the uh, wherewithal financially. Uh, the person at the very top, per se, you could say now, had a, uh, I thought, illustrious career in banking. And so you'd think that person could oversee things at a very high level, but maybe that's not the case. I don't know. Um, there's 41 PGA sections in the country. Uh, so that's sort of, I, I related to people that there was the United States of America with 50 states, PGA sections, 41 sections. PGA America is sort of the top governing body. body. Uh, but there's, a, you know, a brand new building out there in Frisco that they spent tens of millions um, from all outside optics. They're in great shape. And then to hear 22 people were laid off, I mean, I think there's some answers that need to be, questions need to be answered. So, so Bobby, as I say, I, we met because we were both PGA golf professionals. I'm a former PGA golf professional with their expensive magazine subscription. Um, 
here's my thought. My thought is they're about to hit their come to their Super Bowl. This is their Daytona 500. The Ryder Cup is their cash cow. It happens in less than six weeks. And they allegedly have a very good war chest and they're short. I think the number was six million I've heard tossed around, right? So they're going to have to lay off these 22 people, which I also have, uh, have heard puts them short or down. They were already short a certain number of people and now they're laying off people. So they're either horribly bad, bad at financially planning or they're horribly bad at operating. Do we know which or both? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to know which or both. Um, uh, one one point to clarify, though, when the Ryder Cup is in Europe, the PGA of America doesn't get as much money. They do okay, but when the Ryder Cup is here, it's it's a major, major infusion, infusion of tens of millions. PGA Championship every year makes a lot, obviously. Uh, some of the other events don't do as well, but those are the two big ones, and um, yeah, it would just, that's why I was saying earlier, it's nice to get some answers to questions about what's going on as a PGA member. I'm entitled to it. It's like a citizen of the United States, like, hey, what's going on in Congress or the, you know, the White House? You, you have every right to want to know. The books are open, um, but they're, I mean, it might be 100 pages of financials. So I'm not a CFO. Jeff, you want to jump in? Well... <laughs> I'm on the sideline on this one a little because I do a lot of writing for the PGA of America, but I'm certainly interested. It's an interesting conversation. It's a, I've been to the headquarters. I mean, it, it is an amazing place down there. Um, and it's sad to see that I've, I've lived the layoff thing. Hey, man, I'm in the media business. I mean, the, the word layoffs in our business is a daily conversation. Um, I saw a thing yesterday where the L.A. Times sports section. I mean, the L.A. Times, think of the teams you have to cover in that town, has one person on its copy editing desk. In the old days, we probably had 25, you know. Um, and it's just so it just saddens me. It involves good people. I just hate to see that all these different industries, especially golf, which seems like on such a boom right now, shrinking. And it's just it's tough to watch. So. I mean, shrinking, at least on the business side of it, where it's the popularity of golf right now is soaring. So uh, it's just, it's I, like I said, I can't say Bob certainly knows a lot more of it than I do, but it's just um, knowing some good people are involved. It's it's tough to watch. You know, it, it's funny. You, you bring up a really good point, Jeff. And it just made me think for a second that while golf is growing, it's not growing in in the traditional arena. It's growing in the golf pro world, right? It's it's growing in that that you know kind of off the wall, crazy. It, it it's just a different. There's different subsets in our game, and I think the old traditional, and maybe this is good for the long run, but the old traditional nucleus of golf is not really where it's growing. Yeah, I, I can't argue. I mean, I I agree with that, Andy. I mean, Jeff, would you? Sure. Um, yeah, as someone who has spent their whole life with the written word uh, from my end and how golf is covered, it's changed a lot. Yeah. 
a lot of this. It's a lot of podcasts and blogs and firing across the bow on social media, you know. Yep. Um, was I was covering the PGA this year when Tom Kim went down the bank into the little creek. Um, I'm watching going, that'll be the news of the day. It won't be somebody shooting 65. It'll be this guy falling down and getting muddy, his clothes muddied. I mean, that's the new... That's the new story of the day, right? So it's it's changing, right? I'm an old codger, and I'm, I try not to be the better get off my lawn guy, but uh, sometimes it's hard to sit back and watch and try to embrace some of the new and and you know dovetail it with some of the old and and come up with a better solution than what we've ever had. It, it, your your spot, I, I agree. I think it's the it's the shock value, shock value media. To, you know what's what's it gonna be? and then you look at the game itself now golf courses are still busy there's i mean we're packed we're, we're, and the outer banks w- was packed and uh i got a trip scheduled to pinehurst in in a couple of weeks to to see my son we're gonna meet there and play a couple rounds of golf and uh tea, tea times are booked until three four o'clock in the afternoon but the golf boom has really given rise to the pop strokes of the world and you know the the drive shacks and obviously top golf was you know leading the way and if you if you look at the ngf studies you know 37 million people in the game apparently right now and it's in three it's in three silos of 12 million plus on uh green grass only 12 million plus on uh on uh entertainment venues and then the other 12 million or the balance is made up as some type of of hybrid in between them all and you know so you guess you got 24 million people still playing on green gas course that's not enough to ultimately sustain them but that's the number that it's been at for a long time correct 25 million people correct 25 million golfers the fact that they're counting top golf and and all those other different types of golf and i think it's great and i don't have a problem with them counting it but it, it is pretty much uh, telling a little bit of a different story than well yeah i think they wanted to tell i want i think they wanted to be representative of the story yeah for the pop strokes and top golfs of the world i yeah. i i guess bobby i i would echo and i don't know if i happen to still know any of those people at pga you obviously know them intimate to to bring it back full circle to that, which is, you got to think that a year ago they would have had a sense that they were in a trouble. Why make those families move? That's the part. That's the the human interest side of it. Is just like, come on. Yeah, I mean that that's the sad part. Um, and hopefully things can work out for the best for them. But some of them are on the journalism side. And, uh, like Bab said, it's tough out there now. Yeah, and so, look, sometimes when businesses are in a, a bind, they don't have the resources to get through it, right? But that's not seemingly the case here. So, you know, figure out your operating issues and, and get yourself to, to be on budget. But, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to, to be so reactive. Yep. Andy? 18th hole, new segment. We're, we're, we're doing the hot seat with our, and our that's, guests. I, I, that's what I was throwing it to you for. Okay. 
Can I pass on any of these? I don't. I, I don't, did, I don't you, think as you, quick on my feet as I used to. I, I'll admit you can that. Pass. You can pass on any of them. All right. Um, wait, 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 should I have said some kind of segue? Where hey, it's hot in Texas. You know where else it's hot? Boom! Thank in, you. In Jeff Babineau's chair. Hey Babs, <laughs> I'm gonna get a towel. Hey Babs, I, I, I had Andy pull the question from the Ox uh, frat boys, so you don't have to deny <laughs> or confirm anything. Okay. <laughs> okay, you ready, Jeff? All right, I think so. All right, what's your lowest eighteen hole score? Uh, 70. 70. What are your three favorite courses you have played? Oh, boy. That's where I don't think quick. Probably Pacific at Bandon. Uh, my home club at Dennis Pines on the Cape and uh, Augusta National. Ooh, that hurts. That, that hurts. <laughs> you, you never played Dennis Pines? <laughs> I have played Dennis Pines. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So what what are the three courses you'd love to play that you oh, have? I've never been to Cypress Point. I mean, that's number one, two, and three for me. Um, I love those. And and I probably should have thrown in. I, I actually love Old Head, too. If I knocked my hometown course out, uh, it's just a cool place to put a golf course on that sliver of land. I, I don't know what you're talking about because the Highlands is better than the Pines anyway. But. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, name the three. Name the three best players of all time in no order. Oh my! Well, Nicholas Woods, and I'll give you Bobby Jones. Good one. All right. What's the best part of your game? Oh. Writing the nineteenth hole. <laughs> Fair enough. Good answer. What's the worst part of your game? Oh my God. I'm chipping one handed if that explains anything. Probably not the worst part of my game either, but I'm chipping one handed. We're brothers from another mother, right there. <laughs> <laughs> what skill is most important in your opinion to play great golf? Strong mentally, and I'm a I'm a mental midget. Okay. All right. PGA tour or live? PGA tour. All right. Who's your favorite golfer, past or present? You can't say me. Sorry. Mm. I mean, I'm certainly the most interesting golfer I ever got to see is Tiger. I mean, I've I've been at every one of his major victories, and it's you just can't, you know, when he won that last Masters, I knew something big was still going to come because he's just that stubborn. Awesome. You survived the hot seat. <laughs> you forgot the last one. What's the last one, Bob? <laughs> How long will Belichick? Yeah, we about Boston thing. How long will Belichick coach? <laughs> yeah, so we, Bill Belichick. I'd be. I'd have to think about that one. Yeah. I like the rings. We'll do what's best for the team. That's right. Your to your job. Yeah. Bobby, 18th hole, final thought. Okay, this was a uh, um, at my club, a something I, I, I guess I've always thought about, but getting back to the green grass, when people try to hit the range picker and it's a game to hit the picker, I notice that their swing is just more natural, more fluid, less thinking. They hit some decent shots. I might go flying over it, uh, but it's just an interesting, fascinating 
experience to see this in action. It really is. It's, it gets to the point where people, I think, overthink and to freeze over the ball. Uh, so if you're having trouble with the golf game, go try to hit the range picker. Awesome. Andy. Alan, that's my <laughs> advice to you. So uh, I just have an interesting observation as these live events continue to come and go um, without much of a whimper, right? I mean, Bryson shot 58, which was awesome, but um, they just seem to lack in relevance so much. And something I've noticed is uh, Brooks Kepka is – playing out there on live without wearing any live gear. I don't know what that means, but I I saw he was all Nike'd out with no no smash or whatever team he's on. <laughs> Can you name his team? I think he's on smash. Well, you might be right. I don't know. I think it's smash. <laughs> Jeff? I know he's on I know he's on Matt Wolf's team. <laughs> <laughs> For a while. Yeah. Um I'm going to make the case for Lucas Glover to be on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I, I love what he's done at 43. If you have six picks and the idea is get the guys that are in form, you can't reach back and take Justin Thomas because he was great last year. Uh, he hasn't made a six-footer this year. He's 140th in the putting stats. He'll be back, and he'll play on plenty of Ryder Cups. But I'm taking Lucas Glover with me to Italy on this plane. Here, here. And mine is going to be. I'm going to go to a short course. I want to. I want to recognize this because I like playing par three courses. It's the only game I can still play. I want to acknowledge Jackson Van Paris, who set a new course record at the Cradle, carding an 18. Whoa. 18. He had seven birdies, an ace, and parred the ninth hole. Part the ninth hole, wow. Joker. That's all I got. Hey, Bobby, Bobby, do you want to sign us off? You've been, you, you took care of everything. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't want to overstep my bounds. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, Jeff. Great having you on. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Babs. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Guys. Go Boston. You only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30 plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.